0: AMU. The following podcast is brought to you by American Military University on behalf of In
1: Public Safety.
0: Welcome to the podcast In Public Safety Matters. I'm your host, Leishan Stelter. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a subject that not many firefighters want to talk about, mental health issues. While a career in the fire service can be incredibly rewarding, it can also expose firefighters to high levels of stress and trauma that causes emotional and mental injuries. Unfortunately, talking about some of these mental health problems and taking steps to address the post-traumatic stress symptoms that many firefighters suffer from remains a highly stigmatized subject in many fire stations. Ending that stigma is something my guest is very passionate about. Today, I'm joined by Brad Bushelon. Who has spent the last 10 years working as a full time firefighter and is currently a captain with the City of Statesboro Fire Department in Georgia? He is also a long term peer support team member within his department, helping firefighters talk about mental health issues. As a continuation of his passion, he recently began his master's degree in human services counseling with a focus in crisis response and trauma. Brad, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to the
1: podcast. Hi, Alicia. Thank you for having me.
0: So I wanted to start our conversation by talking about the environment in the fire service when it comes to mental health awareness. As someone who has been in the fire service for many years, are you seeing more firefighters who are willing to talk about the trauma and stress that they encounter? Or is this something that's a really highly stigmatized subject still?
1: Well, from what I've seen in the last two or three years, the uh, stigma is starting to slowly fade away. At one time, it was very taboo to talk about it, and nobody wants to talk about their feelings. And you're supposed to be that brave, macho man running into the building, and that's absolutely true to an extent. But now we're discovering there's long-term effects to that and to this job. However, there's more peer support groups popping up every day. And more and more people willing to talk about it and get it out there and seek the treatment they need.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about some of the efforts that you've made within your department to bring more of a peer element to addressing mental health. I understand that your department doesn't exactly have a formal peer support team, but that you in many ways have kind of taken on that role of being a peer support person within your department and helping other firefighters know that you're someone who is trained and interested and willing to talk about these issues. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you've done on the informal side to help bring mental health awareness to your fellow firefighters?
1: Yeah, gladly. So essentially where our peer support outlook or attitude Stem from was not only my interest in it, but a uh, few of our administrative personnel attended conferences, and one of them was a health and safety symposium where they were basically told the importance of a health and safety committee, not just from the physical aspect as far as the top of the line gear and cancer prevention and all that, but it was also discussed the importance of mental health. And they knew I was attending school for my bachelor's at the time. And I had an interest in it. And so they came to me asking if I'd like to take lead on it. And that's where I am today with it. Like you mentioned, we don't have an official team as of yet, but I'm working on that. I'm getting all the training I can and looking to put something formal in eventually. But there's a lot of moving parts to it. And I just want to make sure everything is squared away before we implement it. I am a firm supporter of having a team without sounding like a hypocrite since we don't have a team yet. Even if it's something informal like what we have, basically what we have now is guys know that I'm studying this material and this subject matter. I'm very passionate about it. And they may talk to me or they may ask advice on what they need to do in certain situations. And we go from there. You can do things such as suggest the employee assistance program if your department has one or any local counselors there may be, or any other resources that you may have, depending on the circumstance.
0: And I'm kind of curious too, if you can talk a little bit about your approach to being sort of in this informal peer role. Like, are you someone who is actively assessing some of your fellow firefighters to see if they've Say there was a pretty high stress situation happen. Is it something that you're actively looking to see if someone might need support or do you wait for them to come to you? Can you just talk a little bit about your strategy and approach when it comes to addressing some of these sensitive topics?
1: It is, like you said, a very sensitive subject matter. It doesn't matter if it's a very stressful, traumatic call that we ran or a divorce that's happening back at home or the death of a close family member, any of that can be very sensitive to that individual. And the way I view it is, I certainly try to identify those in need, because that's something I'll be educating my department on. And I hope others are as well as the first step is, after educating is identifying, recognizing that somebody is in need. There's certain, I guess you say, red flags or clues. They're isolating themselves. Their personality is completely different. We're They're the guy who's making all the jokes. Now they're quiet and secluded. So I certainly look for those things, especially at the call or right after the call, because that's when you can tell right away if someone was affected by it. However, you know, just around the station, as a supervisor, too, it's important to notice if your guys are acting off or your guys are acting different. And it could be something as simple as, you know, they're just having some financial trouble or it could be something major like that terrible wreck that you ran last shift where There is some serious trauma or gore and it has affected them. You know, it's important as a supervisor to immediately recognize that so you can get your guy or girl the help they may need. I approach it very cautiously in the sense of you don't want to bombard these people. You don't want to scare these people off and make it a big deal because that stigma is still around with some people. You know, some people will refuse to talk about anything or others are more inclined to. So I kind of judge and weigh out how to approach it. More often than not, they're just gonna come to you. They're gonna deny it initially. However, I do try to initiate the conversation or initiate the need for treatment.
0: We'll be right back after this.
1: To handle massive damage from natural and man-made disasters, today's first responders need specialized training. Get started down your next training path in emergency and disaster management with a degree from American Military University. You'll learn from highly experienced practitioners in the field. Take the next step and apply today at amuonline.com.
0: Welcome back. I'm also curious to hear your thoughts on how the family plays a role. I know obviously firefighters consider themselves a family amongst each other, but when it comes to some mental health issues, do you have recommendations or do you give any advice to people who might be struggling about how they can talk with their spouse about it or their friends outside the firehouse? I'm just curious if you think that can be really beneficial or if you think most firefighters try to kind of keep it to themselves when it comes to talking to their families.
1: Well, there's a ongoing joke, I guess you'd say, or ongoing discussion that communication is the biggest issue in the fire service, whether it's around the station, some paperwork didn't get done because so-and-so didn't let so-and-so know or on the fire ground where radio traffic wasn't heard and somebody gets hurt, or the incident goes sideways real quick, communication is an ongoing issue in the fire service. And that rings true with this subject matter. Not only is it important to talk to your guys or talk to each other about it, but it's equally important to let your family know back home because it is critical to separate work from home because you don't want to bring work home with you and you don't want to take home to work with you. However, because of the mental effects of our job, it is important to communicate with your spouse. Hey, we ran a really rough call last night, so if I'm short with you, it's just because I'm stressing about it and it's weighing on my mind. Or even if it wasn't a rough call, just running a bunch of calls and a lack of sleep. Sleep deprivation is a huge factor in the fire service, and it can affect us physically and mentally, causing us to be fatigued, causing us to be more emotional than normal. So, there's certainly a fine balance between not carrying work home with you. But all it takes is just a simple conversation, which is something I've been wor- personally working on myself. Just talking to my wife, hey, if I'm short today, I'm sorry, we ran calls all night, and I've got about hours sleep. And as that spouse, you know, if they love you and care about you, then they'll be understanding of it. You got to let them know, so they can have a chance to be understanding. And if you don't communicate with them, then they're just going to be caught off guard, and that's how fights happen, and that's where stress from home can be created. But just simple discussions can go a long way. And um, my wife is very good about it. She'll tell me, "Hey, you know, you had a fire last night. Was everything all right?" And if it wasn't, I'll tell her. And she says, "Well, if you want to talk about it, you know, I'm here." She doesn't force it, but she lets me know I'm, that she's here to talk about it. And that carries weight for both parties because it eases that stress in my eyes. And I think
0: that's really important to improve your communication with your spouse. But they want to know what's going on in your life. They don't need to know the gory details, maybe, of exactly what happened or what you saw or experienced. But just for them to know, like, I'm struggling with this, I'm having a hard time, is really good information them, Because I'm sure as a spouse, you know, you're always worried about your firefighter, significant other, and you want to make sure that they're okay in every way, whether it's physically or mentally. I was wondering, kind of playing off that relationship with your spouse, what are your thoughts on taking that next step when it comes to professional counseling? Is that something that you either recommend to other firefighters? Is that something... You do see other firefighters taking that step, or is that still a hard next step to take?
1: I believe that step is really the brink of the stigma. To me, seeing a counselor is no different than going to the chiropractor, which is very common in our line of work. You know, we have bad knees, bad backs, shoulders. It's very common for someone to go see a chiropractor, and it's not necessarily because their back is broken. It just needs an adjustment almost as a maintenance if you will. And the same goes with counseling. It's important to practice self-care and get good sleep and communicate your stress and rough calls as maintenance for your mental health. So is seeing a counselor. And I'm not saying everybody must see a counselor, but if you are struggling to the point where your job performance is affected, relationships are affected, then obviously you do need that next step. And there's nothing to be ashamed about with it It's not like you are a leper of of any sort. Seeing a professional counselor is a big step as far as the treatment goes, and it will just provide a happier way of life in my eyes. And I know a lot of firefighters would be opposed to that because they think seeing a counselor means there's something wrong with them. And they just need to learn, like everybody in society, that it's okay to not be okay. And all you're doing is seeking that maintenance for your mind, just like you would your back or anything else.
0: I think that's a really good way to look at it. It really is more of a maintenance. If you wait too long and you wait for things to really fester or just get worse and worse and worse, then when you go, it is going to be like a very jarring experience. But if at the first signs of seeing that something's wrong, you start addressing it, then it becomes more of that maintenance approach, just like we take our cars in for regular checkups and we get physicals as regular checkups. Like, I totally agree that having that mental health checkup is really a great strategy because it helps identify if there are things that maybe you haven't even recognized are affecting you. brings a lot of that to the surface instead of trying to bury it. So I'm really happy to hear that there's more focus and attention and The ability to seek that next step in professional counseling. Do you have any recommendations? I think one of the toughest things for a lot of public safety folks is finding the right counselor. Do you have any thoughts about what to look for when you're looking for a
1: counselor? Yes, ma'am. To me, finding a counselor is sort of like finding any other doctor the importance is making sure that counselor specializes in what you need help with. For example, if there's a firefighter who is struggling with alcoholism, he's constantly drinking off on his days off and coming in hungover and needs help with his alcoholism, he would want to seek an addictions counselor. Whereas if you've got a uh, firefighter who's dealing with anxiety or PTSD, then you would look for a counselor who specializes in that. And oftentimes when you, I mean, you could Google mental health counselors and, you know, a list of names will pop up in your area and typically their website or their information will be listed there as far as what they specialize in. You know, if they're just a children's counselor, if they're just a divorce counselor, that's the first step is finding a counselor that specializes in what you need help with. Once you find one or two, even three of those counselors, then just go visit them. Oftentimes, their first, depending on your insurance or the counselor, oftentimes you get one or two visits for free and you can just go and introduce yourself and see if you like that counselor. If you're not really developing that therapeutic bond with that counselor, then try another one. But it's important if you're going to see a counselor to see somebody who's going to be effective. If you kind of have the outlook that you're not looking forward to your interaction with a counselor, you're not going to be successfully treated by that counselor because it'll be seen more as a chore and not as a benefit.
0: I think a lot of folks too need to have that mentality that it's a trial. You're going to someone to see how it goes. It's not like you're going to try one person. If it doesn't work out, you're never going to another (laughs) counseling session again. I think that can sometimes be a hurdle for firefighters. Like, okay, I'll try this once. And if it doesn't work, I'm I'm done. That's not how it works. Like you do need to try out a couple different people because it's just all of us have different personalities and approaches and you just have to find that good fit. So I totally agree with that advice. I also wanted to talk to you a little bit since you're pursuing your master's degree in counseling and trauma. I was wondering if you could maybe share a little bit about how you hope that academic background will contribute to your approach in the fire service?
1: As a firefighter, I've come to learn what makes us tick and how we think and similar personalities. And from what I've recognized, what I've seen is that more often than not, a firefighter doesn't want to talk to some counselor in an office and lay on the leather couch and look at all the books and talk about their feelings. They want somebody who can associate with them and relate. And they also want somebody whose credentials add up. If I went to a training class right now and was taught by an instructor who didn't have the certificate I'm seeking, obviously I'm not going to trust him. I'm not going to get a lot out of that class. Well, the same goes with me and my approach with counseling. I feel as though If I have that master's degree, so I have the educational background coupled with my experience in the fire service, it'll be more effective. And that goes for anybody who's seeking a similar path. You want to have that experience so you can relate to these men and women when they come into your office or practice and go to talk to you about that bad call that they had. You can say, you know, I had a similar experience when I was on the truck. And I think the master's degree just expounds upon that Validation of, okay, this guy is somebody who not only knows what he's talking about, but understands what I'm talking about.
0: And for other folks who are thinking about taking a similar career path, who enjoy the counseling and mentoring aspect that they can provide to other firefighters, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about something you've written a lot about, which is vicarious trauma and some of the issues that. Firefighters, or anyone who's in that peer support or counseling role, when you're the person who's listening to these things that other people experience that are very traumatizing to them, it can often have an impact on you. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about how you address vicarious trauma or secondary trauma is another term for it, but what you do kind of mentally to prepare yourself to take on. Or hear some of the trauma that other people are experiencing?
1: Well, the, the vicarious trauma or secondary trauma, like you mentioned, is somewhat relatively new, but it's very similar to what is known as compassion fatigue in counseling, which is where you're constantly hearing these stories. You're constantly hearing about these horrible calls or these abusive situations that these victims are in. And you do have to be cautious about that. It's almost like a workplace hazard that you must be aware of before you go into. And the best thing I found with that is that is where self-care comes in for the counselor. Just like self-care is important for the firefighter, relieving that stress through working out or a hobby or whatever else helps to de-stress from that rough shift, the counselor must practice self-care too. All of those traumatic incidents that they're discussing begin to affect them. It is definitely some rough conversations that you might be exposed to. But I think going into it, being prepared for those conversations and also taking care of your own mental health will help strengthen that aspect of it.
0: And I think that applies to all firefighters. Obviously, as a counselor or peer support, your role is to listen to those tough conversations. But even during a debriefing or even just around the firehouse where firefighters are sharing their experience, like seeing a deceased child is obviously very traumatizing and like even just hearing about it can have effects on other people. So I think it's important not only to be aware that that could be damaging to other people, but also it could affect you, your individual well-being when you hear about things like that. So firefighters need to be Prepared to experience things, but then also to hear things. So I think it's good that there's more information being shared about vicarious trauma and secondary trauma. So, Brad, I want to ask you one last big picture question that might be a tough one, but I was wondering if you could have your ideal scenario or plan or whatever for sol- not solving the mental health issue within the fire department, but just addressing mental health in any way that you wanted? Do you have any aspirations or thoughts or advice for what other departments should be doing just to make sure that their department is adequately providing mental health care for their firefighters? Like what would be the, the most ideal situation?
1: I Certainly, that's a very big question, but very important question. I feel as though it starts from day one. Education is incredibly important with the subject matter and my ideal world. If everything was just fine, I would think that somehow implementing in the initial training, the basic firefighter school, rookie training classes that mental health is discussed. Even if it's just for an hour or two, just a snippet in the curriculum, go ahead and put it out there to the guys and girls. You're going to be exposed to some very traumatic scenes. You're going to be dealing with a lot of stress on and off duty. And these are some measures on how to handle that and just discuss the subject matter of mental health in rookie school. That way it's right there up front. They're better prepared for it. They have a better idea of it. And then as far as after that initial entry into the fire service, I believe it would be ideal if it was mandatory for departments to have a counselor on staff or at least a local counselor that was affiliated with the department, whereas, you know, there's a bad fire at two o'clock in the morning and a couple of kids get burned up. Well, they've got that counselor on call or whether they're employed directly by the department or a local counselor, they've got that counselor that, hey, you know, we've had this call. If you wouldn't mind meeting us back at the station, we're going to do a debriefing. Just make sure everybody's good to go. And, you know, in that way too, you know, if there's an issue, not just two o'clock in the morning, but any time of day, those guys know they have that resource. Another great aspect or great idea would be most fire departments do an annual physical. Part of that physical could be a mental health screening. We screen our blood for all sorts of chemicals and vitamins, looking for cancer and this and that, and we check our flexibility and strength and all that, but there's not a big push right now to do a mental health screening. So that would be outstanding if that could be incorporated in an annual physical. And that'd be pretty much all I could think of at this time is, you know, catch them early, you know, when they first starting in the fire service and then have mental health as an ongoing that is on the same level as all the other training and with annual physicals. I think that's excellent advice
0: and recommendations. And hopefully one day before the end of your firefighting career, you'll see that more departments are taking those kinds of steps. I think they're on the right path. But like you said, I think there's more work to be done to just address mental health from day one until the end of a career and even beyond. So Brad, I really wanna thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your expertise. And I I really wanna commend you for being so passionate about this topic and working really hard to help take care of your fellow firefighters. It's a really amazing endeavor. So thank you. You're
1: quite welcome and thank
0: you for having me. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today for this episode of In Public Safety Matters. I'm Leeshan Stelter, be well and stay safe. For the latest public safety news, visit inpublicsafety.com and sign up for our daily newsletter. Thank you for listening. AMU, American Military University.